Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. I am here today with Kyle, not Patrick Francis, and um, he is going to talk to us a little bit about some of the ways that you can protect your profitability and your cash and your practice during this downturn. Uh, so, Cal, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell, other than the fact that his name is not Patrick, guys, you need to know that. <laughs> Um, and and if, you, if you don't understand that in joke, go back and look at a couple of the past podcasts. It, it, it'll be a running gag. So, um, Kyle, talk to me. Uh, well, okay. So, uh, Kyle Francis uh, started in the dental field uh, back in 2005. Um, started with Henry Shine, which uh, was Sullivan Shine at the time. I was selling equipment for him. Um, slowly but surely, uh, after trading services for quite quite a few years. I started up a company in 2007 to uh, transition practices. Uh, so over the last, uh, I guess, 13 years or so, we've done transitions for about uh, 350 uh, practices. Uh, about 250 of them were individuals, about 100 of them went to private equity, DSO group type environments. Um, but uh, really, I started up the company as a consulting company to start out with, uh, just because I was trading services. So um, I guess I've I kind of still got a little bit of that mindset whenever I'm talking with docs. So, um, so the, uh, I, goats? I'm sorry. So do you take chickens and goats? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you uh, eggs, eggs are great, you know, especially during this time, try to go to the, try to go to the supermarket and find eggs. Right. Um, it's actually kind of interesting. So there is a, uh, one of, one of the gals who works for me, uh, she has, uh, six chickens at her, at her place. And she said that even the, even the, uh, hawks around are kind of getting starved for attention. So she's now down to three, I believe. So it's a, uh, it's nuts out there. I just, I just finished uh, assembling two chicken runs at our house because, um, of the same issues. We, we once had eight chickens and some skinny hawks. Now we have fat hawks and no chickens. So right, I, <laughs> completely. I think I've made a connection as to how that happened. So um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what uh, Practice Transition Solutions, uh, Professional Transition Solutions does. Yeah. So I think that probably what we are best equipped at is going to be to give options to um, dentists. Uh, I think that uh, most of the time, whenever we're talking with uh, doctors who really don't have a tr much of a transition plan, um, the overall thought is to either sell it to an individual, right? And whether that's just a straight buyout or somebody buying it over the course of time, getting an associate um, is something that we hear often. And I don't, have you ever heard of the success rate of associateships? That's one of my favorite stats. You ever heard of that? No, no. Tell me about that. 20%, right? <laughs> so one out of five end up working out. And so um, and we're not huge fans like that. of that unless you're okay with just kind of blowing and going through associates. Um, but it's one out of five. Yep. No, but in, in a five-year period or a one-year period. Oh yeah. yeah. So essentially it's defined by what it is that you're wanting out of them. Right. And so um, if you want them to be purchasing um, or if you are wanting them to stay as an associate, et cetera, um, so it's not uh, to defined by a time horizon, it's defined by an outcome. Right. Yep. All right. Fantastic. 
Yeah. So, you, you got so fans of that. So what you recommend? Right. Yeah. So I think the the options that we do like are going to be either defined buy-ins, right? So uh, where we take an associateship, um, kind of shorten that contract and allow them to purchase. Um, and then also, I do think that we're kind of at a unique time in uh, in dentistry in that there is a lot of private equity that has entered dentistry. And um, if you look at other industries across, uh, I guess, across the U.S., um, uh, there are there is a lot of value that can be gained and um, a lot of uh, a lot higher multiples that can be achieved by thinking about a group environment. Right. And so. For a long time, I was very group averse. Um, I did not sell on purpose. Um, but with the different partnership programs, joint, uh, joint venture deals, equity wraps, equity roles, all those kind of things, there's lots of different ways to actually have a stake in your success um, in a group environment. And there's also ways of uh, allowing yourself to be a little bit more shielded um, against stuff like this, right? So, um, uh, there, uh, there's some kind of interesting ways of doing that. And so I think that the thing that we're most equipped with is going to give options. And then we also put the groups in a very competitive environment, which kind of assures people to get the highest value. So that's what I think we're good at. Okay. So today you said you were going to discuss a few different things. Um, you were going to discuss landlords, um, lenders, personnel, negotiating contracts, writing the wrongs within the practice. Uh, planning for recovery and strategic thinking and being optimistic and uh, executing the plan. So let's go ahead and start off at the top with landlords. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you've been finding uh, with some of your clients, with their landlords, what are people doing, what's working, what's not working. Yep. So maybe, uh, so maybe that's the first place to kind of start off about finances, right? Which is, um, if you think about if you think about landlords, landlords are going to be dealing with many of the same things that we're dealing with right now. So I happen to be a landlord, right? And so I've got many, many tenants that I'm dealing with. Some of them have the ability, some of them don't have the ability to pay rent. And um, if you look at very large institutions out there, I think that the first one that came out was the Cheesecake Factory decided they were not going to be paying rent starting in April. Um, many others have started that process as well. So um, just like the uh, just like dentists, uh, we have deals with banks. Um, the landlords do as well. So uh, many of them are on deferral programs with their banks, right? So uh, they may not be having to pay their mortgage for uh, the course of two, three, four, five, even more months. So if that's going to be the case, then essentially what we have to do is we have to ask, right? <laughs> so that's the, that's the key. What we find is there's not very many people who are asking right now. But um, uh, what we found is that there's lots of landlords that are willing to make deals like that. So whether it's going to be, you know, a straight deferral for the course of a month, whether they'll set up a three-month program where you don't pay rent, whether it's, you know, half rent for three months, all that is about preserving cash flow, right? And so if you don't ask, you're not going to know. Uh, so that's thing one. Um, I've been surprised with how few of my tenants have come to me and asked, right? Um, we have not had to go on any uh, of those bank programs. And it's because none of our tenants have asked for it. And not that we wouldn't offer, we'd be fine helping. But um, I think that you'd find that with lots of landlords out there. Um, I can't tell you how many people that I have heard from that have just asked the simple question, the landlord saying, okay, yeah, we'll go ahead and go half rent for three months, right? And that doesn't take negotiation, that just takes asking. So I think the key is asking there more than anything else. But the key is preserving cash flow, right? So cash is king during this time. So what do you, what is your preferred um, method for that? Do you think they should approach them in an email, approach them in a phone call in person, by letter? 
um, what are you finding is most effective? And, um, you know, how does someone start that process? Obviously, the asking is, it's, it's, it's makes it sound so simple, but a lot of people are going to, you know, dentists, we tend to be very detail-oriented. Yeah. So it probably depends on your relationship with the landlord. If it's a mom and pop landlord, so if it's an individual out there and you have a personal relationship with them, give them a shout, right? And um, I think that's probably the most effective way of doing it. Um, if it's going to be a large group, so if it's like a real estate investment trust, a big investor group, those kind of things, that's probably needs to be more formalized in the approach. And the pride does need to be either an email um, or even potentially a letter. I would say letter just defers it takes longer. So I would just do an email if possible. And I would set up a time to talk. So that way you can kind of let them know what all is going on within your business, that the fundamentals are still good, all those kind of things, but you just can't see patients right now for the most part. So um, I think that that's probably, uh, that's probably the right way of doing it as much as you can. I would much rather have it to have it be a, a over the phone or in-person conversation if at all possible. But um, I understand that sometimes there's very, very large groups and that's not going to be a possibility. Absolutely. I, I was told yeah. that uh, I needed to fix my sound setup. The kids use this to record for jujitsu as well. So um, I need to just switch back to my studio A, I think. But um, anyway, so um, as we're going along there, th those are some great answers in how to get this stuff um, set up and how to begin this process. And Jackie, uh, thank you for letting me know that the sound was messed up. If you can hear me better now, please let me know. Um, so the next thing we said we were going to talk about a little bit was lenders. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that many of these same things that we talk about with landlords also apply to the lenders. Absolutely. Yep, very much so. So um, it's, uh, again, uncanny to me how few doctors we've talked to have even just asked their bank whether a deferral pro uh, a program is going to be available. So if there is a deferral program, definitely take advantage of it. There's really no reason not to. We've seen deferrals in most cases. Um, as a matter of fact, I can't think of a time to this point that we haven't seen at least the inter, at least the uh, principal being cut out of the payment. Um, at least it's going to be uh, an interest only note for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, plus, I mean, if you have an existing SBA note, whether that's for your practice or for a building, um, they actually are doing a six month forgiven program through the, through the SBA CARES Act, right? So um, there's really no reason not to do that either. So that's just a true forgiveness. That is not going to be a deferral. That isn't something you're paying additional note on. That's something you're paying additional interest on, right? Um, so with them, I have found that it probably does take an ask and then also a little bit more prodding, right? Because there are so many different things that banks are doing at this moment um, that it may kind of fall down the priority list. Um, so it's one of those things if you just kind of every couple of days, if you just kind of put a reminder in your phone to give them a call or a reminder in your phone to give them an email, those kind of things, um, we found it to be extremely effective. And again, it's not one of those things where it's a huge amount of negotiation. It's probably just uh, remember, reminding them that this is something that's going to be important for them. Um, and uh, I guess the, the background of why they're so busy right now, do you, do you want me to jump into kind of the things that have happened since we last talked about the CARES Act? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, absolutely. We need to cover a whole lot of stuff for that, um, <laughs> including why there's no money. But, you know, I think we're all getting a picture of as to why that is. Um, I also want you to tag on the end of this and talk a little bit yeah. about scholastic loans as well, because that's one area where a lot of people 
aren't thinking about the fact that they can get deferments or forbearances uh, due to financials. But that that program's been yep. around forever. So that's something that we're going to be looking at. But go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about the horrors. Of, I mean, the, um, the amazingness of the SBA PPP. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take horrors more than amazingness. Um, I think whenever we last talked, I think I was—I remember talking about the fact that um, what, what I was what I what I was saying is only going to be good for so long, right? And I think even that afternoon, additional changes came out with the EIDL program. So um, the EIDL is no longer ten thousand; it kind of ranges between one and fifteen thousand, depending on how many employees you have. Um, no, if if you think about it, there's a reason that they're doing these things, though. Um, so with the EIDL program, again, if I take my own example, um, I, I have a few businesses that I'm an owner of, and one of them owns a building, right? And that building ownership group decided to go ahead and apply for the EIDL because why not, right? An extra $10,000, you might as well go ahead and take it, and I'd be able to float some people who may not be able to pay rent. Um, so many people try to take advantage of that, right? And so essentially it's kind of a loophole, right? And so they just kind of keep on closing these loopholes one by one. And so they see, hey, a whole bunch of people are trying to do this, so they're gonna to try to close down this loophole, et cetera. So I'm a big believer that's probably gonna be happening with, happening with the PPP program as well. I know that there's a lot of folks out there that are talking about not taking your PPP until later because you can put people on unemployment, um, and then the PPP comes, and then you can kind of use it for working afterwards. I would put a very high likelihood that they're going to um, end the use of funds at a certain point, whether that's June 30th or whether that's July 15th. Uh, it's not going to be very far after, which means it's just going to roll it into a, a note anyway, right? So a two-year note at 1%, which isn't that big of a deal, but I do believe they're going to keep on closing these loopholes slowly but surely. Um, it's, it's my feeling that at the end of this all, um, that the best that we can hope for is that some of these or some portion of them will be forgiven, most likely the 75% that's for, um, for payroll. Um, my, my intuition tells me that with the way that things are changing and how slipshod this entire process has been put together, uh, that most likely we're, we're likely to see a whole lot of um, loans not being forgiven as they retrospectively change the criterion. I, I couldn't agree anymore. And um, that's why I think that if you think about the incentive of the program, right, the incentive of that program is to make sure that not as many people go on um, unemployment or people that are on unemployment can get back off of it. That really is the entire reason for that. It's not to help from a cash flow st standpoint with the business. That really is what the EIDL is there for, right? And um, I understand that you're paying interest on that. And that is a loan. That is not going to be something that is forgiven. But um, not anymore. At least. <laughs> What'd you say? Not anymore, at least. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so uh, I, that, that, that's my own personal opinion on that. And again, I want everybody to be strate as strategic as possible and to be able to think through, hey, maybe I can take advantage of some of these things as we go. But the key is getting in it first, right? And so you said that they're already out of funds with the PPP. That's obviously not a great thing. Um, hopefully this week they'll kind of get their act together and then put some more in there. But I mean, your guess is as good as mine, whether that's going to happen, what the amount is, all that kind of stuff. And who knows, maybe some additional warrants will be there for round two. We have no idea. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me to see that um, a lot of these companies, these bigger companies that have taken the loans now all of a sudden since, um, since, since they busted Ruth Chris, 
Um, now the Shake Stack has come. Uh, Shake Shack has come out and said, "Oh, we're going to give back the ten million dollars that we got because we feel bad about it. You guys should have it." It's it's a bunch of scrambling for PR control. So, yep. Um, I, I, I read there's a whole bunch of like there's a whole bunch of like licensing businesses that is going to be really interesting as well. So, I mean, you can't do it if you're a franchise, right? And you can't do it if you have right. venture capital funds for the most part. But um, from a licensing standpoint, there's a lot of companies out there that license big, big, big names. And is it possible that all of them can take advantage of it as well? It is it is going to be really interesting to see how it all works. But they flew through that first 350, though. But isn't that like half of what Trump's business is, is licensing of his name? <laughs> yeah, I, it, that makes me – I just can't wait for this, this fiasco <laughs> to all come full circle. It's going to be interesting. No political yep. posts on TBOD, people. So, anyway, <laughs> um, the next thing we said we we're going to talk about a little bit was personnel. And I, I assume that you're going to speak to the um, front office, back office split, um, reimbursement of wages based upon position, and maybe a little bit about the unemployment and uh, the national bonus that's going out or not going out, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, first things first, uh, if uh, I think that the key is to have a plan, right? And everybody's plan is going to be different on this. Um, so uh, first thing is, have you already um, laid off or furloughed workers, right? Or have you cut their hours? So if, you're, if your workers don't know this, it's, it is really important for them to know that they do have um, an ability to claim unemployment, even if it's just cut hours, right? So let's say that normally they're working 32 hours and then they've gone down to 15. They can claim mm-hmm. unemployment for the difference, right? And so they can get not just exactly. the difference in wages, but also the $600 a week. The, the, well, supposedly, right? So now some of that has come right. out and some of it has not come out. Well, my, um, my team is furious because I told them about this whenever it first came out. And they've, they've right. all been calling me every week, Doc, we haven't gotten that national check yet. I'm like, man, I, I don't control that. I promise. Um, give, us, give us real quick, uh, Kyle, a, um, a definition a furlough because a lot of people are asking what's the difference between laying your employees off, uh, cutting their hours, putting them on employment, furloughing them. I think they're really all kind of part and partial of each other. Um, talk to us a little bit about the, the exact designations there. Yeah. So um, uh, keep in mind, not an HR attorney or anything like that, but um, from, uh, from, from my best understanding what we've done in the dental practices that uh, I'm an owner or part owner of, um, is that uh, a furlough is going to be uh, a legal legal category that they are still uh, able to be employed. And so they don't actually have to go through a firing process um, and they don't have to be rehired either. So um, it's obviously something you hear about a lot whenever the federal uh, budget can't come to an agreement, those kind of things. So uh, you hear about um, state workers being furloughed. And the reason being is they don't have to go back through the hiring process, but essentially they're taking time off and it is free time off, right? Um, if you think about it from a, uh, from a firing standpoint, so if you've actually fired the employees, then essentially what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to redo the paperwork and rehire them, right? Um, so furloughing essentially also allows you to stay off of the um, unemployment um, uh, insurance a hike. Uh, now, granted, I think that's coming across the board, right? And so I don't think that uh, very very few of us are going to be able to get away from that in total, but it should kind of be looked upon a little bit more favorably um, than what than if you just decided to fire everybody. Um, now, there were questions at the start of whether uh, furloughing would even work, right? So would, fur- would furlough count the same as, uh, as, as firing an employee? Uh, an employee? 
And the answer is now yes. Um, so unemployment does kind of range that, that span. Um, it also does work if they're just cut hours. So if they're reduced hours, it also does work. So that's kind of what you're talking about with the front office, back office. Mm -hmm. So we've talked to many, many uh, offices out there that still have their front office up and going uh, to some extent. Um, and uh, we think that obviously that's, that's going to be wise to, to keep them going. And our thought is to have them kind of start ramping up about three weeks before an implied open date. Now an implied open date, is gonna range across the country as well. And so you have to listen to your governors as far as how soon that can happen. You have to listen to ADA and then also to uh, the way that you believe is gonna be the right way to handle it. But um, an implied open date, we really want to have that schedule full or as full as possible going into it. So we wanna have those front office folks starting to kind of uh, okay schedules a few weeks out. Yeah. So early on in this process, there was some talk um, amongst different consultants and of course, everything has changed so much. Folks, please, if you heard something from someone, they were probably trying their best to give you the truth. Uh, because frankly, these things have changed so much that it's nowhere near similar even to what it was whenever it came out of, out of Congress. Yep. Uh, so there was some indication that front office versus back office may or may not be paid for um, with the PPE loan. Um, and that some some team members may or may not be reimbursable or forgivable under that. Uh, do you know anything to that extent? I know that we, we talked a little bit about that the last time. Is that still true? Yeah. What, what are the indications now? Yeah, so everybody's going to be okayed for it. I think that the main, uh, the, the main caveat there is going to be for your associates. Um, your associates, if they're making more than $100,000 a year, which hopefully they are, um, then, uh, or I guess maybe hopefully they're not for EBITDA purposes. I don't really know. So, um, <laughs> so if they are making more than $100,000 a year, they could only be um, re, uh, kind of uh, captured up to $100,000 a year. So um, you can only give them uh, a payment of up to that $100,000. Anything above will not be reimbursed. Beyond that, anybody is going to be eligible. Okay. Um, so um, let's see here. Our next thing, the negotiating contracts. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So we've had a whole bunch of different um, experiences whenever it came to the effectiveness of going to other businesses and trying to figure out a way of uh, reducing uh, overhead, right? So that's kind of what we're doing. So if we're playing the cash is king game, uh, we want to make sure to reduce as many of the different expenditures that we have on a monthly basis because we don't have nearly as much revenue coming in. Um, the easiest ones are obviously variable expenses, right? So your labs and your supplies, you're only paying for those whenever you actually need them, right? And so those aren't going to be very hard. The ones that are going to be harder are going to be recurring contracts. Um, the ones that we've seen very, very little um, uh, movement in is going to be practice management softwares just because they're still being used, right? And so if they're still being used to some extent, whether that's for canceling patients, whether that's for reappointing patients, or whether that's for the emergency patient that comes in, they have to be tracked some way through the system. Um, we have not seen uh, any reduction there. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard of any reductions of uh, of practice management. Okay. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, the ones that we found a little bit more wiggle room with are going to be marketing, um, groups. We have seen people either go on deferral there. So like, let's say that you're, you're spending $4,000 a month with a marketing company that's doing AdWords, SEO, Google analytics stuff, and then maybe also dropping postcards every once in a while. What we found is that maybe you don't have to take all those services and just kind of a, 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 a monthly stipend might be paid, right? Like a $99 stipend um, to kind of keep that contract rolling. 
So we have seen that a fair amount, but um, uh, we have not seen the same on insurance. So we've had a whole bunch of people reach out for, to their insurance carriers. We've seen a lot of ads, like farmers and State Farm are talking about how, yeah, we're gonna be lowering insurance costs um, from mm. a business standpoint. I, I have not seen that yet. Um, does, does, the ad, the, does the ad end with, shit, we don't, don't pay you guys anyway? <laughs> should, <laughs> definitely should. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've not seen it from a business standpoint and I would love to hear maybe like an insurance specific person talk about that, but I've not seen any, any, any help there. Um, uh, then in terms of, uh, any other revolving contracts, I think the, the so marketing definitely should, should be your biggest one. I've seen people take advantage of uh, payroll accountants, all those kind of folks. A lot of them have kind of curbed their fees as well. And so uh, that's a good thing. Those are kind of a little bit more variable anyway, because if they're not going to be doing payroll, if they're not going to be kind of doing books for you that month, right. it's not paid for. Um, so I think that those are going to be the primary ones. The, the one that I've seen the biggest thing for the buck for is definitely on marketing contracts. So, and another good point to bring up with that, with marketing is when we do have a date certain to go back to work and some people are saying it's tomorrow, and at least here in, in, um, in Texas, and some people are saying it's very clear that it was May 8th. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on that. I know what I'm going to do for my practice. Um, so really those advertising expenses, advertising needs to be begun two weeks to a month before you expect totally to see a return on it. And so yep. maybe it was time last week to ramp that up. And if it's May 8th, then it's time now to ramp it up so that you actually are getting the effect of the money you're spending. Just, you know, just a yep. heads up for anybody out there who's not thinking that way. Um, the only thing that advertising is good for is bringing in money. And if you're not letting it bring in money, when you can make the money, that's a problem. Yep. So We work with a, we work with a, a PR company that it's, it's great because I don't think that way nearly as much um, and kind of, what their advice has been for the different uh, clients that we have as far as whenever they call up and say, hey, what do you think about, you know, this marketing protocol, marketing protocol X, Y, or Z. Um, essentially, what they're saying is the best thing to be focusing on are going to be one, you know, safe environments, right? Um, so there's going to be safety there, the precautions are being taken, you know, um, the dentistry is medicine, so important to systemic health. Um, and then their, uh, their overall belief is that um, from a medical practice point of view, um, the social media is definitely going to be the way to convey these messages and then preferably by video. So videos of doctors and staff talking about just kind of, you know, how they appreciate their patients, the type of protocols that they're going to be having in place and the fact that it's going to be a safe environment. That's kind of the overall messaging that we've heard is going to be most effective. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I, I think I agree with that, particularly the social media aspect of it. There are so many people who are going to be tired of the, the, the litany every single day of bad news on the, on the news networks that um, I'm thinking probably Facebook, even though we get our own share of that, um, I think that's probably going to be a better avenue for them. And so that means, you know, probably social media advertising is going to be a good move. So totally. And if I, do you mind, can I jump back to the suppliers? There's one thing I forgot to yeah, hit on that do. does work. Do. There, there's one thing that I forgot to hit on. It's uh, that if there's not a penalty for not paying, I, look, everybody wants to pay their bills. Everybody wants to be made whole, all that kind of stuff. You want to do what's right for your suppliers as well. However, if there's not a penalty for not paying in a month, 
hold it, <laughs> right? So hold it for that month, hold it for that 60 days. Um, obviously be in communication with them. You don't wanna be ticking them off either. At the same time, uh, everybody's kind of dealing with the same type of thing. And so again, if you don't ask, you're not gonna know. And if you can hold, I definitely would. So um, that's another thing to be thinking about on suppliers. I, I think that's really good advice. Um, the next thing we said we we're gonna cover was righting the wrongs in the practice. And by that, I'm assuming you mean, you already know shit's broken. This is a great time to fix it. Yeah, completely. Talk just a little and bit so, about that, Cal. Yeah, so uh, if you think about it, one of the reasons that it's hard to make change is because you're dealing with um, a, a, the practice every day, right? And so um, whenever you have that day-to-day -day management, it's really, really hard to, to uh, kind of incentivize people to make that change and then to have that change last as well. So um, a couple of things that we've uh, thought about in terms of kind of interesting changes to make are going to be um, uh, one, if, uh, if, if you don't have the hours <laughs> that you're looking for right now, right? So like, let's say that you're working Monday through Friday, eight to five, right? Um, is that the best way of capturing the patients? Should you end up starting earlier one of the days? Can you start later a few of those days, right? Does a Saturday make sense, right? As, uh, we, uh, we worked with a practice out in Washington. It was a four location practice. And he said that out of those four locations, every single one of them, their busiest day, surprisingly enough, was Sundays, right? And um, look, there's different ways of optimizing a schedule and there's different ways of letting patients come in. I can't tell you the amount of perspective of what we've done, a couple thousand prospectuses. The people who have later hours always say those are the first ones filled. The people who work on Saturdays typically say that once you kind of offer it, patients love those Saturdays. Now, granted, if it's, you know, a, a bluebird day with 12 inches of powder, like it's going to crash, right? <laughs> but um, for the most part, it really does work. So um, is now a good time to kind of think about that new schedule, right? I also think now is an interesting time to think about hygiene as well. So hygiene is going to be one of those deals where what well, we're we will have missed at a full month, if not multiple months of hygiene appointments. How do we fit them back in? Right. It's and not so just that. It's not just that your insurance reimbursement is based upon very specific dates. And yep. so that's going to have some effect right there just on your reimbursement. It's going to, it's going to actually have a stagger effect for the next few years. Completely. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Um, and so uh, if that's going to be the case, and we know that we have like a huge hole in the future, kind of on six month rotations in March and April. So first of all, we need to ramp up marketing to make sure that we fill those appointments. But then we also need to have the capacity in the months in the months afterwards. So you're talking about call it June, July, and then the six month inverse of that in order to make sure that you can handle that hygiene. And so, um, uh, is it, is it a good time to start thinking about 50 minutes or 45 minute appointments for hygiene? Is it a good idea to think about assisted hygiene protocols, right? Um, uh, in the interim, <laughs> this is only gonna work on cycle one, but is it, is it gonna be worthwhile for the doctor to help out during that time a, a little bit, right? Now, don't get me wrong, I've, I, I can't talk to, I can tell you how many doctors I've talked to that are saying, no, there's no way in the world I'm gonna be doing that, right? right? But um, for round one, could it be helpful, right? Can we kind of, on big boy pants for a month and do it, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's it from an hour standpoint. I mean, I do think that it's, it's going to be really interesting from a hygiene perspective. It also is going to really show the fact that we are, we don't have nearly enough hygienists out there. So hygiene is one of the hardest, hardest, uh, things to hire for or hardest positions to hire for in the entire country. Um, and 
if, if we do have this big of a shortage, which uh, if you talk to folks at Dental Post and other places that we do, we do have this type of shortage, um, makes me wonder what's going to happen to wages too as that capacity ramps up. So well, the, wages, the wages were already pretty high. And I'll tell you, a lot of, a lot of these hygienists, uh, coming from my position, having hired one right before all this happened, um, a yep. lot of them were basically banking job offers. They would take three or four different jobs and then just no-show all the ones who didn't offer them the highest without even calling. Uh, it, it was pretty crappy. But yep. I think that in a very real way, those hygienists who were staying on these temporary assignments so that they could just, you know, have this leisure lifestyle that they wanted and make good, good money doing it. I think a lot of them are going to realize the cost of that. Because I've, I've spoken to a couple of them where they're, they're realizing how much they've lost out because they're not getting PPP. They're not getting anything. They're staying at home broke because no one's cleaning teeth right now or very few. Um, I've also had a couple of doctors who reached out to me who said that they're really loving this new, um, this new lifestyle. And they're considering just laying off their hygienist forever, just moving their profits to once a year. So I think there's going to be some unforeseen changes. I'm not recommending any of those actions, but um, it is interesting to see how different doctors' minds are working in different directions to cope with these problems. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how things shake up. Well, if I, can, if, if I can encourage people to take more of an abundance mindset than, a, um, than kind of a scarcity mindset, it will behoove you in the, in the, in the back end just because this is the time where um, growth really occurs is coming out of, uh, of, of crises like this. Um, and uh, if you are strategically thinking about things, then uh, big moves can be made, you know? So if we kind of go back to the idea of, okay, so what kind of changes could be made? I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many folks have also talked to me about same day treatment, right? And they just haven't been able to figure out a good protocol of putting in same day treatment. Now's a great time. <laughs> figure out that protocol, implement it, and now have it be forever and ever amen, right? Particularly if you're going to be charging some sort of an additional fee for additional PPE or different preparations and things like that, or for yep. COVID testing, um, you know, it would really behoove the patients if you tell them, hey, look, you know, we have to charge this fee every time now for every procedure. Why don't we go ahead and lump a couple of those together so that it costs you less in the long run? And I, I think that probably that's, that's going to be a good selling point. Yeah. So, and I, and you, you kind of stole the last part of what I was going to talk about, which is no, it's great. I'll take it back. I'll take it back. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you're thinking about it already. So, I mean, like, um, in terms of overall cost for, for PPE, additional charges being made, all those kind of things, have you heard anybody kind of have a, an exact answer about what that's going to look like? I have yet to. Look, I, I am, I am in contact with the highest positions in the ADA and in the TDA. Um, I, I've also got contacts in OSHA and, and the CDC, and I'm not getting any answers at all. I'm not either. Um, I, I'm getting some, some large, vague um, generalities like, hey, if you know someone's got COVID and they're currently contagious, you should be doing this. And my right. thinking is, hey, I'm not treating them. You know, <laughs> hey, they're going to stay at home. You know, but that, that, does, that does call um, to question – um, our, our entry procedures um, into the practice now. Um, let's say I've got Miss Jones who comes in and we say, hey, Miss Jones, fill out this questionnaire. Have you traveled out of the country? Blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. Do you know anybody who's got COVID? Have you been around them? Okay, great. The answer to all those was no. Let's go ahead and let, let's take a snap test. 
and let's see what your antibody response is. You know, oh, look, yep. it shows that you have antibodies now, but you don't have the antibodies that show that you've recovered and gained humoral immunity. So let's go ahead and reschedule this for two weeks when you should have recovered. Uh, yep. That, I think, is going to be the new standard of entry into dental practices. Um, now, frankly, it's too little um, because this is not the only danger out there. Um, I, I, but I, I see that as perhaps a starting point of, of something very different in dentistry where we screen patients from a multitude of diseases, a multitude of illnesses, uh, and, and we take a bigger part in, in medicine rather than just, you know, being tooth mechanics. The, the difficulty there is I, I ran two polls this past week, um, past two weeks, just to see where dentist minds were. And, um, 80% of dentists said that they plan to change nothing at all coming out of this, which as a person who just, who studies business, I'm horrified by, um, because this is such an opportunity, um, for growth. in Completely the practices. Man, that's a, that is, that it's is horrifying, fascinating and horrifying both. Jeez. And, and the other thing is I, I actually pulled them and 95% of dentists believe that dentistry should always be separated from medicine. Um, so that with, with that mindset, um, it's difficult to see how things will play out. Uh, I, you know, I, I was curious just to see what people were thinking. And um, it, it's evident that many think very, very differently than I, I myself think. So, and that's, so I've thought about it from an intake point of view. And so I've thought about, you know, whether we need to have the, the new healthcare questionnaires, whether we need to have new um, entry procedures, all those kind of things. Um, whether that's just going to be taking temperature, whether it's going to be doing a certain amount of testing. I'm with you on the different types of diseases as well, what kind of how those entry procedures could look like. like. I love how you said that is that dentists should have a bigger part in medicine in general. I love that in total because uh, if, if you're more of a believer of when this happens again, not but if, but when right. this happens again, um, that's going to provide a huge amount of safety having us more wrapped into an overall medicine environment than just kind of on the outside looking in. So, um, yeah, that's a, I, I love that overall idea. That's really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> credit where credit is due, right? Well, we're, we're having our little, uh, our little mutual admiration club going on. Well, all right, folks, uh, we have a couple more things to, uh, to, to discuss here. And this one really kind of plays right into what we've been talking about, which is we're planning for the recovery. Um, you know, all things, all journeys are best made with, uh, with a route mapped. I'm a huge believer in that. And um, if, you, if you have a vision for where you want to go with your practice, you can plan backwards from that. If you're simply just going to jump back in with both feet nice closed, you'll be in no different position. And in fact, perhaps even a worse position than you were to begin with whenever all of this began. So uh, Kyle, tell us a few of your ideas about what people can do to begin planning for this recovery. And Hey folks, if you're out there listening right now and you have some questions for Kyle, um, just type hashtag not Patrick into the comments and um, <laughs> follow that by your, follow that with your question. For y'all that don't know, I actually changed my email signature just for that as well. It now says Kyle, not Patrick Francis. Anyway, um, when I messed it up, so, I had to run with it. It was, it was too much I get it, to. man. I get it. Okay. So, um, so planning for the recovery. So I, mean, I think the biggest thing is I know we talked about kind of 
uh, zigging while other people are zagging last time. And so I, I definitely big believer still in that. Um, but uh, I would also say that there's tons of resources out there, right? So I mean, uh, if I just look at our group and our group is small in comparison to advisors out there, um, I mean, whether it's CPAs, attorney groups, um, or, or consultants, um, there's dentists out there that are doing a really good job of kind of providing this content as well. But I mean, there are more eBooks out there about kind of returning to profitability. We have some that you can get on our website or that we'd be happy to send to y'all and you can kind of post as well. Um, did you also put those checklists out there as well? Ones I'd sent to you. Awesome. Okay, good. So there's checklists that you can use. Um, we just kind of, we also put together a best practices checklist in terms, uh, I think it's a, it's now a hundred points of different things that you can be doing during this time. So that way you're ready again. Um, I'm a, I'm a pretty big believer that, uh, I, I heard a kind of a, a personal growth expert talking, um, kind of near the start of all of this. And he was saying that only 3% of people are going to use this as an opportunity. And, um, if only 3% are, I want to be part of that <laughs> quite frankly. Right. Um, and, uh, I guess being opportunistic is if you see an opportunity, be willing to make the jump, right? If you don't see that opportunity, kind of start thinking strategically and start planning to see what all else could be out there, right? So whether that is simple as uh, something as simple as changing hours for better uh, uh, patient acquisition, or whether that's going to be something kind of uh, more intricate, which is going to be intake procedures, right? Which I think is fascinating. I want to think more about that. Um, uh, I think that a, a lot of them, or a lot of different things, can be done. Um, and we'd be happy to share that 100-point checklist as well. So, I mean, uh, that's everything from educating yourself um, to uh, considering kind of how to make sure that cash in is, is in a good position as well. Um, unique things that you can be doing um, with, your, um, with your funds. Like, what else can you do other than PPP and EIDL? Um, at, at, did we talk about last time how you can take from your retirement with no fees right now? I don't know. Did we talk no, about that at we all? No, we didn't. We, we did mention a bridge loan. And I've gotten a couple of questions right. about that. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was pretty self-explanatory because it's right on the SBA website. But if you want to mention that as well. So um, again, if you don't want to be taking out the loans, there's ways of just kind of lending yourself money as well, right? So you can take a loan against your 401k, right? And so you can use that here. Um, you can uh, also just take funds out of it, right? Now you still have to pay taxes if you didn't pay taxes on it beforehand. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be income. Um, however, there's no uh, fee to do so anymore as well. So if you're just super, super, super debt averse, um, which sometimes I fall in the category of, um, you can do that. And so let's say there are kind of hundreds of thousands of dollars there that you can use that for floating too. Um, find an equity partner is going to be an interesting way of kind of handling this as well. Um, I think what in the last uh, in the last two months, we've had something like uh, 40 practices come out, come into our ecosystem and start mm -hmm. to start to work with us. And so could it be that you can use this as a, um, as, as a diversion from risk, right? And not just a, Hey man, I can make a whole bunch during this time, but also, Hey, how can I protect myself when this comes through again? Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing you can do as well. Um, I think that, uh, Final thing is, is that it's a worthwhile thing to talk to your bank um, now that especially they're kind of starting to slow down with PPP and EIDL um, and start to learn about what your total capacity for debt is, right? And so if you don't have loans, how much can you take out if you wanted to, right? And can you reverse engineer a plan um, to kind of deploy those funds, right? So whether that could be a practice acquisition, whether that can be a, a growth methodology, whether that is kind of 
putting money into uh, a, a, a big overhaul of your facility, et cetera. I think that now is a pretty darn good time to be thinking about those things too. Absolutely. And, and, and labor can be had for cheap right now. I actually, it's, it's funny. I um, I have a shop that I was planning to build in, in the back of my property and I waited until this uh, because I was in a very good cash position. Um, I, I mentioned to you before uh, that I, I kind of saw the recession coming. COVID took me by surprise, but I was already positioning myself for a recession. And so I had a lot of cash. Um, and, and so I ended up getting a building that I was quoted $19,000 for, for $6,500. You know, oh. so there's, there's a lot of good moves you can be making out there right now if you've got liquid assets. So one of the, one of the things that I heard you say was loaning yourself money. And um, it's actually something I do quite often. Um, part of my investment strategy is life insurance, which a lot of people frown on, but it has got its uses, people, if you know how to use it. Um, you can take out loans against your life insurance and pay yourself back interest. And that's a beautiful thing. Yep. So again, yeah, not a CFP, right, or anything like that, but I use it as well. And um, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a really unique strategy. I mean, quite frankly, we did, we did it for our entire mortgage now. So I mean, like now I have a mortgage to myself that I'm paying myself a dividend on, right? So, so are you using the um, uh, LOC? The HELOC, uh, yeah, that HELOC method is beautiful. Uh, guys, yeah. if you want to know more about these things, contact Kyle. Um, you know, he comes over here and he gives us a lot of this amazing information for free. Um, and, um, you know, obviously he does that because he'd love to earn your business. Uh, give him a chance to do so. So um, I, I don't make any kind of referral fees or anything like that off of this. Uh, I just uh, I just love talking to him uh, because I think we think a good bit alike. Uh so uh, we do have a question here uh, from uh, Danny Lawrence. He says, any input on someone who has already done the PPP and is waiting to fully open until after May 8th, would you recommend paying hygiene and assistance to stay home? Um, okay, so I'll tell you what um, I've done in the practices that uh, I'm currently an owner in. And so this is what I'm doing, right? Um, uh, I, I am doing that. And um, I think the reason that I'm doing that is not nearly as much of a financial reason as it is a cultural reason. So um, I, I want them to know that I am going to help them as best as I can during this time. And so we sat down and talked with each person and there were two assistants that ended up making a little bit more by being on the unemployment with the additional $600. And so we said, well, hey, it probably behooves you to do that, right? So we're going to go ahead and keep you there. Um, and again, not for the sake of hoarding cash on the back end, but it was the right thing for them to do from a hygienist point of view. Um, it's interesting. I, I'd, uh, I've thought a little bit through um, if people would be considering kind of the scarcity mindset and starting to kind of uh, fire hygienists or potentially having hygienists suddenly have more capacity. I mm -hmm. still think it's probably more likely um, that uh, there's going to be uh, a huge uh, problem with finding hygienists on the back end. And so I would probably prefer if I like them to pay them. Um, now that could be a good way of kind of letting them go and find something else as well. If, you, if it's not something that you really appreciate. Right. So, um, so that's what I've done personally, but it's more, much more of a cultural thing than it is going to be a financial question for me. So, you know, Kyle, um, this begs a question that's been floating a lot 
through the groups. And that is what is the proper reaction for those people who are changing something. Um, several people have said that they're going to do the deep dive and take more PPO insurances, go into more networks because people are going to be poor. Uh, several people have said, hey, with the increased cost, that makes no sense. I'm going to dive into fee-for-service or out-of-network. And um, some are just saying, hey, I'm using this time to renegotiate with insurances. And, and, and still others are making some really great points about large businesses needing to cut costs. And the first thing that's going to go is dental insurance and vision coverage. So what are your thoughts? You know, pull out your crystal ball for a moment and, yeah. and, and tell us what you're thinking there. Well, so I'm going to give um, uh, one of one of the brokers who works with me, Kim McCleskey, credit for this. Um, something we talked about a fair amount this last week as a team of just kind of, okay, so what is going to be the prevailing wins after this? And again, yeah, crystal ball completely, right? And um, so I think the, the, the camp that I'm going to be most closely aligned to right now is going to be that I do think that it's going to be likely for large businesses to be cutting costs. And... I do think that what they say one in five um, employees have been laid off at this point. Um, so if that's going to be the case, will they have coverage coming back? Or will they uh, just they be glad probably... to have a job? Right. That's kind of what I'm wondering, right? So um, I think that uh, those, those kind of ancillary benefits, I think there's going to be a potential issue there. Um, if, if you're interested in kind of going fee for service or kind of attracting more PPOs, um, I, I'm not 100% sure how that's going to in, end up working out, but what I do think is really going to work is going to be in-house membership programs. Um, I think in-house membership programs are going to be really, really big coming out of this. Um, uh, it's something that I've set up with quite a few different people. It's not something I'm an expert at, quite frankly, and so typically what I do is I outsource that, right? Um, the ones that I've outsourced it to are um, you know, Boom Cloud, Clear, you know, those type of groups. Essentially, the in-house membership program, is not, it's, it's not brain surgery, right? It's super easy. All you do is you charge uh, either that person or that family a certain amount of money to provide a certain amount of care for them, and they get a certain discount program, right? Um, different uh, states have different rules as far as what you can call it, what all they can do, what all they can't do. Um, but really, the hard part is going to be the maintenance on the back end. It's actually the management of the program, making sure the funds come in. How is it posted? You know, um, how does it not look like a credit on the account, et cetera? And so um, that's something they're really good at. And so it's something I typically just outsource. But I do think that's going to be big coming out of this, kind of regardless of whether it's just kind of, oh, we should be going more PPO or we should be going more fee-for-service. I think that there's going to be a pretty high likelihood that membership programs will be big. Now, what we've what we found is that um, whenever we set them up at my office, which was actually – one of the things I did to go out of network, why I was successful doing it. Uh, so, and, and again, I'd like to point out, we think so much alike because I, I'm, I'm exactly <laughs> with you on that. that. That's what I think is going to play out. Um, so what we did is we actually set it up as an insurance plan through Open Dental. And we told it that the insurance plan included cleanings for free. Um, and we actually put the, the code for peril maintenance in. We put the code for regular profi in. Uh, and, and code for uh, child profit. And then we also put in our discount and we've got two different ones. Uh, so we've got a, a bronze and we've got a platinum. And um, then they get either a 10 or 15% discount. Now, all we have to do, the one hard part is keeping track of the number of cleanings that patients have had. But let's face it, that's rarely a problem. Um, and whenever it's a use it or lose it benefit, uh, it tends to be very simple to keep track of because you can look back and say a year to date, when was this purchased? 
Now, one of the things I'm having to think about going forward, which is something that Kyle, you may need to start thinking about as well, is these people now have not had the ability to utilize their benefits for a month and a half at, at the point whenever we can go back to work here. Um, so that's, we're going to have to do some sliding on that and um, try to just over deliver and under promise. Completely agree. And so um, can, I, can I give you one of the things I've been thinking about a bunch, like over the oh, weekend, yeah. I was coming up with this. Okay. So um, keep in mind, this is a little bit of a half-baked idea. So, um, but I think it would work. So um, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. So he started up a whole bunch of different businesses growing up and some of them worked, some of them didn't. There were boom times and bust times, right? Um, right. He employed a whole bunch of different folks. And um, we never had a dentist growing up, right? We always went to different people. And so we never had that relationship with the dentist. Um, with the ability of a membership program like this, uh, there's all these small businesses that are out there that would love to offer something to their, uh, to their employees, but they just don't have the ability to be on Delta or to be on Cigna or whatever else. Um, just because either it costs too much or it just doesn't make sense for them. Um, in those type of environments, I mean, if you think about all these different groups out there, they're getting PPP loans and everybody's going to be kind of recovering at the same time. Um, especially with the operative operatory schedule or operative schedule being a little bit light to start out with, cause that's what it's going to be. It's going to be light to start out with. Um, I would definitely be pushing these membership programs to local businesses. And so whether that is kind of coming out with mailers or coming out with, um, email campaigns, et cetera, with your marketing company. Um, I think it would work and would work very, very, very well. It allows them to attract talent. It allows them to keep their talents. Um, it doesn't really have to cost the business anything. You can just be right, right back on the employee as well. So um, anyway, I think it, it really, really works. And I've had, uh, I've had a couple of different uh, uh, practices over the course of time kind of take me up on that idea. And um, you can grow a practice, literally a startup, just based on doing this, right? Yes. So very, very few people are doing it. And I think it will work coming out of this as well. Let, let me give you something to add to that thought process. Um, and this is blatantly stolen from Dr. Christopher Phelps, who is a genius at doing these plans. And um, if you haven't read his book on them, you should. Yeah, he's um, good. So yep. what he does is he goes around to those same local businesses. And not only does he offer them a plan for their employees, he says, how would you like to be in our mailer that we send out with this plan? How would you like to put some coupons in there? And so you're actually increasing the business for the company while you're signing their employees up. It's, it's an interesting thought. This is so distracting. I, I'm so used to having a beard and every time I turn the light shines <laughs> off. Of my it's, uh, it's kind of weird. Now I understand why women do all the powder stuff, you know? But. Yeah, I, so I, that's funny. I haven't so I haven't done it that way. What I have done is like real estate agents locally, and so especially buy side real estate agents, so the ones who are going to be showing houses to people moving into the yep. community. A lot of times they're going to be giving gift bags, and um, you allow, uh, let's say, uh, you give them a couple of tchotchkes, that kind of thing, and then also mm -hmm. something like, hey, you can also become a part of this little membership plan, Absolutely. just right down the street, that type of thing. That typically works out really well. I've found uh, that um, title companies work really, really well for that too. They're always looking for different things they can be giving their buyers. So, Very cool. That's um, a good idea. Yeah. Yep. Hey, give away a couple of free membership plans and, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got an unplayed salesperson. Yep. Exactly. Yep. I love it. All right, folks. Well, we're out of time for the day. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us here. And um, again, this has been Kyle not Patrick Francis 
and, uh, and Doc Huffbauer here just talking a little bit about what we can do coming out of this fiasco. So um, have a great day, do good work, and stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.